Turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, as we begin the new year, I want us to take a moment to consider God's Word in Psalms 25 and a couple other passages of Scripture before we jump back into Matthew. We'll resume our study of Matthew next Sunday, but this Sunday wants to consider the idea of God's guidance by his word. I want to ask you if you would know what is kind of the, the common element between shooting a bow and arrow, putting on the putting green, shooting a basketball, playing volleyball, returning the volleyball. What's the, is there anything you can think of be a common element to all of those activities? I hear a lot of murmuring. You guys have a lot of ideas about what could be common. I don't know. I couldn't understand any of them. Target. You have a target. Okay. You're aiming at something. Focus. Focus. Practice. All right. Wow. 2022 is going to be a verbose year. I mean, you guys are like really talking and this is exciting. All right. Well, the common element that I, I would identify in all of those is the importance of good footwork. Good footwork. In, in all of those things, if your feet are not right, your trajectory, your aim will be off, right? So when you're putting, I, I know nothing about golf, but I know enough that when I, I you know what, we won't talk about golf, we'll talk about putt-putt golf. Um, <laughs> I know something about that. <laughs> when, when you go to putt-putt golf, right, if, if your feet are lined up this way, but you're trying to hit that way, it's not going to work out well, Right? Your feet, I was always taught that you kind of make a line with your feet, and that's where it's going to go. If you spend some time with Mark Fothergill, he can tell you the importance of footwork in basketball. It's vital, right? Success in basketball depends on footwork and returning volleyball and how you set yourself up to spike, and all of that footwork is critical to doing those things. Shooting a rifle or a bow and arrow, footwork, again, is critical. We don't shoot this way. We don't try to pull a bow that way. Your footwork is vital. Well, this morning, what I want us to look at is what you might call the footwork, the foundation of our walk with the Lord, and that would be Scripture. If, if we try to walk in obedience to the Lord and live out our faith, yet we set aside and we don't care about Scripture, then everything's going to be off. Our trajectory is off, what we aim at is off, and, and we will stumble along the way. And so this morning, I want to simply begin 2022 by reminding you of the importance of God's Word in our lives. Over, over the last few weeks, as we entered into and, and went through December, the, the pastors just prayed through, what are, where is God leading our church, and, and what, are we, what are we wanting to see happen in 2022? What do we sense that, that God would lead us to as far as planning and, and whatnot, and an overarching idea that kept coming back to us as we did planning and looked at what, what awaits us in 2022 was the idea of being a disciple, walking as disciples, and making disciples. So what does it look like to, to be a follower of Jesus, right? What does it look like that that's just who you are, that you're following after him? And if we're being a disciple, what does it look like then in the way we walk, in the, the way we live? And how does that result in making disciples? 
in being disciples, followers of Christ that multiply themselves, that, that sit down with others and teach them what it looks like to follow all that God has commanded. And in each of these areas, as we discuss them and discuss the opportunities that we have coming up in 2022 to, to look at all of these areas and to focus on them, the common element of all of that is that the Word is the primary means for God doing what He would do in each of these areas. The person who is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is the person of the Word, because He is indeed the Word made flesh. If we are going to walk as a disciple, we need to know His Word so that we can walk in a way that glorifies Him. And if we are going to make disciples, we have to know the Word to be able to teach and disciple others to follow Him as well. So this morning... What I want us to do is we want to look at Psalm 25 and consider how God uses his word to guide us. And I hope that as we do this, we'll look at a couple other passages on on the importance of delighting in the word and longing for the word as we go into 2022. So let's look at Psalm 25. As we think first about this, that God's word is the primary means for God's guidance. His word is the primary means for God's guidance. God certainly uses other believers, people in our lives. He certainly, obviously, has the the spirit leading and directing us. We're going to look this morning specifically at the word of God. I would remind you before we read Psalm 25 of, of, of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the classic statement on what the scriptures are, and it says that God has inspired every Every uh, scripture, all the scriptures are inspired. They're breathed out by God. Why? That the, the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work, Paul wrote. And then later in 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 8, we learn there that God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, how? By knowing the truth, by knowing his word. So again, the word is the primary means for guiding us as we see in scripture. So let's read Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10 together this morning. The Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore... He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. We look at Psalm 25 and we understand that it's most likely a a psalm written by David, King David, later on in his life. And the, the reason we would understand that is we look in verse 7, and he says, what is his prayer? When he thinks about the, the mercy and steadfast love of the Lord, he looks back and he says, remember not the sins of my youth. Right? He's looking back on life. He's looking back at his younger years, and he's now writing as an older man and seeking God's guidance. This is a psalm known for David's prayer for guidance. He's longing for, for God to instruct him and guide him. 
And so what we have here, and we need to recognize, is we have a, a psalm that is a, a psalm of wisdom from an aged king who is described as the man after God's own heart. And we, we look and we go, what, what is it that he has learned? What is it that is his prayer? And we start out the first three verses, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you, I trust, O my God. And we, we can't neglect the fact that David, David was the king of the land. He had a whole kingdom at his disposal. But what did he learn? He had learned to not lift up his soul to any other but the great I am. The Lord there is in all caps, is Yahweh, um, uh, to, the, to, the, to you, O Yahweh, to you, O great I am, I lift up my soul. To you, O covenant God, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. David had learned the value of looking to the Lord and trusting in him. Teenagers, children, we need to learn this. And oh, that, that you would learn at a young age to entrust your soul to the Lord. Don't wait until you're older. Don't wait until you're my age or the age of senior adults in here and look back and go, you know, I've learned finally to trust the Lord, to entrust the Lord with my soul. Learn this at an early age. Learn from us who would look back and go, I wish I had done that earlier in life. I wish I hadn't gone the, the paths of the world and made the mistakes and, and gotten to the spot where I look back and go, wow, I wish I had just trusted the Lord with my soul. Learn this at an early age. Learn this as a young lady, as a young man, and trust the Lord with your soul. You see the confidence that David had learned in verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. David had learned throughout his life that when you trust the Lord with your soul, you are not going to be put to shame. God had never failed him. David had certainly failed the Lord at times, but his God never failed him. And we need to learn that. We need to have that confidence in the Lord. The confidence that David has here is shown in, in his, as he looks back. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. In verses 4 through 7, we start to hear his prayer for God's guidance. As David says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Do you hear his, his plea, his desire? He longed for the Lord to guide him. Now, I, I think we all would like that, right? We all enjoy being guided. I enjoyed yesterday being guided through the construction in Indianapolis and around by my Garmin, right? I, it helped me and I enjoyed the guidance. Well, when we think about life, it's the same way. We enjoy and we want guidance. I think sometimes Christians even and people in general go, well, who's going to guide me? And, and, I, and I've, I've talked to Christians who are uncertain about, does God really guide me? Does he really instruct me? Is he really going to teach me? Is the God who created all things and who reigns supreme over all things, is he really that involved in my life that he would guide me? Well, yeah, he is. He really is that involved in your life. He really is that near. He, he's the God that we learn in James 1, 5. He's the God who grants wisdom when we ask. If you are lacking wisdom, ask God for wisdom. In Deuteronomy 31, 6 to 8, we see that he is the God who never leaves or forsakes us. He walks with us all of our days. We don't walk alone. And so we can count on that, that he never leaves us. In 2 Corinthians 1, we understand he's the God who comforts us in our affliction. How near is he? He is so near that when we are suffering and we are struggling, he is the God who comforts us. 
He is intimately involved in our life. And we see here in Psalm 25, he is the God who instructs, who teaches, who guides. God is that involved. He does care that much about your life, about my life, that he does indeed guide us. He is involved. He is with us in our lives. So we see here in verses 4 through 7 that that David, knowing this, he doesn't just go, oh, well, that's interesting, and then go about his life and figure out his own way. No, he longs for then God to direct his ways and direct his paths. He wants that. He wants God's guidance. And what we see David doing is we see him longing to understand and to know what we might call God's general will. God's general will. We mean that by that is that this is what God desires from all of his people in every situation. His general will. And so David is praying for that. You can, you can see this as you just kind of note the plurals here. He says, make me know what? Your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, O Lord. Lead me in kind of this blanket statement in your truth, O Lord. Right, he's, not, he's not speaking of some specific decision, this one little minute thing. He is thinking of a way of life. He's longing to know the way that God would lead him to live his life. But we tend to really zone in and zero in on those moments, don't we? We kind of focus in on those specific things that we need to know. God, God, what should I do? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I take this? Should I take that? What, what do I do? Over the years, I found it helpful to kind of understand and consider God as being more of, of what you might see as like a general who would give a field commander objectives and say, this is the objective, here are the resources at your disposal. Now, you go and you accomplish those objectives. You go live according to the, the objective I've given you. And we, we have to understand that God has revealed his general will to us. And he's provided scripture, he's provided his word to know how to carry that out. There's three passages of scripture I think kind of instruct us and help us think about what his general will for our lives is. We look at these passages and and have an idea of what does it mean to live life for God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, we read, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this is the will of God. There it is. We're told right there. What is it? God's will is that we be joyful, prayerful, and thankful in life. Right? Very, very clear, very general. Just be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful in life. So that's the first passage. The second passage is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. We see there that God's general will for his people is that we would be sanctified, that we would live holy lives, that we would remain sexually pure, unstained from the world. Now, how, if, if, if his will, it says his will is that we be sanctified, this is the will of God for you, how does he do that? Well, I would say Jesus gave us a clear instruction on how he does that in John 17, 17 in his prayer for us when he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You got to use your word in the lives of my people, right? To sanctify them, to set them apart, that we would live holy lives. So we're to be joyful, prayerful, thankful, live holy lives set apart for the Lord. And then the third passage is in Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So there we learn that God gives us instructions for how do we discern the will of God? How do we know the will of God? Well, we do so by being transformed by the renewal of our minds, by the renewal of our minds. We, we don't just conform to the world. We don't just go along with what everybody's saying to do and what everybody says this is popular and this is what the majority says. If you do that, man, you're going to be so confused and, and going all over the place every time you turn around instead of seeking out the truth and living the truth of God's word. We don't live according to the waves of society. We live according to the truth of God's word. And that is what renews our mind. Listen, you need to know this. The degree to which you know the will of God is greatly determined by the degree to which you know the word of God. If you want to know the will of God, then grow in your knowledge of the word of God. Psalm 25, verse 8 through 10. We then come to what you might say is the foundation for God's guidance. 25, verse 8 and 10. He says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. It is, it is God's guidance being demonstrated, or God's goodness, sorry, God's goodness being demonstrated in his guidance of us. It, it says he is good and he is upright. Therefore, what does he do? Therefore, he instructs us in the way. God is our Father who longs to guide us, longs to instruct us out of his goodness. We, we see the character of God affirmed. We, we talk about that time and time again here, that God's instructions, God's commands are based in his character, right? His character is the foundation for what God calls us to do, what he commands us to do. It's also the foundation of what he does. It arises out of his character. He is good and right, or good and upright. Therefore, as a result of that, he instructs sinners in the way. So what does he do? He leads the humble in what is right. Why? Because God is just, right? He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths, or all his paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. Why? Because he is good. And it's out of his goodness that he instructs us in the way that he leads us in the paths of steadfast love and faithfulness. Now look at verse 10. Ten is kind of this concluding statement for what he said thus far in the psalm. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. All, all the paths are steadfast love and, and, and faithfulness for who? Who does he say? For who? For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Those who keep his covenant and testimonies. Why do we expect God's leading, his teaching, his wisdom, and why we just forsake his word? Why would we do that? I, I, it, it always baffles me when I, I talk to Christians that are kind of wringing their hand over God's will and direction in their life, and, and they're neglecting to simply obey what God's given them. They, I, I don't know what I should do in this situation. Well, are, are you in Scripture? Are you reading the word? No. Why not? Well, are, are, you, are you living according to the word that God has put in your life, that God has given to you in Scripture? I, I, you know, and you get all kinds, I don't know, I'm fumbling over words at that point. Why, why would we do that? He says, the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and keep his testimonies. See, e easy believism, this idea of a cultural Christianity, this churchianity, that it, it would lead us away from the importance of walking in obedience to the word and say, you know, obedience isn't that important. You don't want to be legalistic. 
But Scripture knows nothing of that. Scripture leads us to the importance and understanding the importance of, of keeping the testimonies of the Lord, of walking in obedience. Obedience is important. It's not how we earn salvation, right? We don't earn our way to heaven by walking in obedience. But we are called to walk in obedience, to walk in holiness, to pursue Him. James 1.22, what are we told to be? We're told to be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. And James goes on to, to give illustration. It says, if you're not a doer of the word, if you just listen to the word and then you go and live however you want to live, you're like a guy who gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, goes to work and goes, what in the world do I look like? That is crazy. It's foolishness. We are to be doers of the word. We cannot neglect obedience to the word. Biblical teaching is that we obey all that Jesus has commanded. We know how to do that. We, lead, we walk in his path by what? By knowing and reading and studying the scriptures, by knowing the word. So God, God guides us when we not only know his word, but we walk according to it. I, I'll lead you back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you want to flip over what we, what we meditated on to begin with, 119, 105, and Pastor Mike read to us this stanza of Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. But if you look at verse 105, listen, listen to what he says. When we, we walk according to Scripture, God guides us. Listen, listen to, to what the psalmist writes here. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. See, he begins with that, that verse that we meditate on. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I would just remind you here, he doesn't say that, you know what, my feelings are a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He doesn't say that the, the world's philosophy is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. He doesn't say that this YouTube influencer is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And he doesn't say that the latest TikTok trend or video is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. No. The Word, your Word, God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. If you want to know how to live your life to glorify the Lord in 2022, then you need to know the Word. You need to know the Word. And he, he goes on. Look what he talks about. His desire, he swears an oath. Why? To keep your righteous rules. In verse 109, he says, I will not forget your law. I, in verse 110, I, I do not stray from your precepts. Right? Verse 111, they are the joy of my heart. Why? Verse 112, I incline my heart to do what? To just know your precepts, to just think about them, to just have it hanging on the wall in a nice little, um, nice little plaque or whatever I got from the Christian store. No. He says that I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I want to live in obedience to your word. This isn't some legalistic following. This isn't something that he's forced into. This isn't something he is meriting. Why? How do we know that? How do we know that? How do we know that he's just not walking in some legalism, just fulfilling his religious duties? Because look what he says in verse 111. What's he say about the scriptures? Your testimonies are my heritage forever because I begrudgingly do them. Your, your testimonies are my heritage forever because my mom and dad make me go to Sunday school. 
Your testimonies are my heritage forever because I just have to check off a box to look religious. No, he says your testimonies are my heritage forever. Why? For they are the joy of my heart. They're the joy of my heart. I long to know them. It's the joy. And here's what we see. Here's what we learn here. Is that we keep the word of God when we value the word of God. It's the joy of his heart. And so the joy of his heart, what does it result in? It results in him saying, I don't, I'm not going to forget your law. I'm not going to stray from it. They're my heritage forever. I'm going to perform your statutes forever to the end. Why? Because they're the joy of my heart. Flip back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We're kind of all over today, but I want us to just think about the scriptures and think about, so we looked at in Psalm 25 that God guides according to his word. And we just said that when, when God guides according to his word and we live in obedience to his word, right? His, his ways are steadfast love and faithfulness to all who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And we keep his covenant and his testimonies when we what? When they are the joy of our heart, we desire and we love and we greatly value the word. And when we look at Psalm 19, 7 through 11, we see the same thing. We see David writing here in, in the first part of Psalm 19. He makes that beautiful statement in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. All of creation is proclaiming the existence of God. But the word in verses 7 through 11, he looks at the special revelation of God. The word of the Lord. And listen what he, how he describes it. You talk about valuing God's word. You talk about delighting it, that it would be the joy of your heart. Here's David at another point in his life talking about his value of the word. Listen, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Do you, you hear, do you see the value, the joy that is in his heart over the word, that he delights in the word, he values it? Listen to what he says. The, there's, there's several synonyms for scripture, right? Verses 7 uh, through 10. He, he talks about the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the rules. All the, these are just synonyms, synonyms of the word. It's all talking about scripture. It's talking about the word of God. Well, how does he describe it? How does he describe his word? As he goes through, look at the first way he described the law of the Lord is what? In verse 7. It's perfect. Oh, it, it's perfect. It's complete. It, it is not deficient in any way. It is the all-sufficient revelation of God. That means that it is perfect for every situation of life that you encounter. It is perfect for helping you navigate to resist the temptation of every sin that comes your way. It is perfect in your life. What does it do then? Therefore what? Therefore, it revives the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. It restores the soul. It brings life to our soul. Then look at the second part of 7. The testimony of the Lord is what? It's sure. It's, it's trustworthy. It's a firm foundation. And it, it, why is it trustworthy? It's trustworthy because it's, it's true. It corresponds completely with reality. 
You realize, you understand that you don't read Scripture and then go about life the next week and go, wow, that's totally contrary to what I read in God's Word. No, God's truth conforms with reality. And it's not just conforming with the reality of Somerset, Kentucky. It's conforming with reality throughout the world in every corner of the globe. It conforms to reality in every moment of time among every people. Because what? It is the truth. This isn't something that we wrote in the United States of America to make us feel good. This isn't something that just works right now in this space and time. It's the law of the Lord. It is the truth of God's word. It is sure. It's sure. And because it's sure, what does it do? It makes wise the simple. Isn't that beautiful? It makes wise the simple. The, the simple truths of the gospel bring the wisdom of salvation. I was reminded when I think about that, I'm always reminded of 1 Corinthians 1.18, where we read, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That, that so many would hear the message of the gospel and go, that's crazy. <laughs> really? Like, a guy who lived 2,000 years ago would die on a cross and, and if I believe in him and I trust in him and I turn from my sins, I would have eternal life and I would be made right before the Lord. I would be given his righteousness even though I'm completely unrighteous. I'm a rebel. I'm a sinner. I would have salvation through trust in Jesus Christ. That's crazy. Oh, but it may be foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God makes wise the simple, his word makes wise the simple. Oh, the word is beautiful. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are what? They're right. They're right. It, it refers to his precepts being upright and to being righteous. There, there's no sin in them. There's no wrong in them. They're right and righteous. Therefore, what? What's the result? It means rejoicing to the heart. It brings rejoicing to the heart. It fills our hearts with rejoicing. It's what we read in Psalm 119. They're the joy of his heart. Why are they the joy of his heart? Because they're right. They're right. They're upright. It brings joy to our heart. We can find great joy, great rejoicing in the righteousness of our God and the rightness of his word. Verse 8 says the commandment of the Lord is what? Pure. Pure. It, it refers to its sincerity, that it is without blemish, without default, without wrong. But it is perfect. There's no crack in it. So it does what? It brings light to the eyes, enlightening the eyes. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Oh, the word of the Lord brings life to our soul. It restores and revives our soul and brings light to our eyes. Have you seen the twinkle in someone's eyes when you share a passage of God's word with them before? You sit and they're discouraged, they're downtrodden and you talk and you try to encourage them and you speak and, you know, as, as good encouragement as you can think, but then you just mention and quote a scripture or you read, say, can we read a word together? And you read it and there's just a twinkle in the eye. It brings life to their eyes. Why? Because the commandment of the Lord is pure. David delights in the, in the word of God. He values the word of God. So what is this conclusion? Look at verse 10. As he goes on, we, we're just kind of skipping over verse 9 there. Fear of the Lord is clean, endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So what does he say? 
What does he say? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. And do you hear that? Does that resonate within you? Would you say, yes, yes, God, your word is to be desired. It's, it's sweeter than honey to me. Oh, I, I, just, I just want to taste it. I want to read it. God, I long for your word. You see the value, the delight, the, the affections that David has for the word of God? Read, read Psalm 119 this afternoon. I would encourage you sometime today just to go home and read Psalm 119 or at least a portion of it. Psalm 119, I remember uh, Kevin DeYoung in his book, Taking God at His Word, referred to Psalm 119 as the love poem of David to the Word of God. That, that he just writes that, and, and you do. I think, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, Psalm 119, every verse of Psalm 119, I think it's except for three of them, refer to the Word of God in them. Every one of them. And so David is just writing verse after verse after verse about the benefits and his love for the Word of God, his desire to cling to the Word of God, hold fast to the Word of God throughout all parts of life, all moments of life, the highs and the lows. He loves and delights in the Word of God. He longs for the Word. He values the Word because it is more to be desired than great gold. What do you desire most? If, if, if we were just laid bare right now our desires what do you desire most in life where where would the word of god fall out for me for you how how strongly do we desire god's word is it sweeter than honey to us i I pray that it would be in 2022 and i would just draw your attention before we move on back to verse 11 Remember, we talked about Psalm 25.10, right? All the ways of the Lord, steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now look, verse 11, David says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, right? God's word warns us, instructs us, guides us in keeping them. There is great reward. Again, we hear the, the, the instructions to obey, to live according to God's word. It's not something we just say, yeah, I know about it. I know it. I can recite some memory verses, and now I'm going to go live and carry out my business however I want to. No, it, it's keeping the word. It's walking in the ways of the Lord, walking in the paths of the Lord. That should absolutely influence everything we do. The word that we study in Sunday school, the word that we hear preached and study and read and meditate upon on here in this, in this time of worship, the word that we look at and read individually, privately, in our homes, should absolutely influence the way we study as a student, the way we do our homework, the way we compete as an athlete, the way we carry out our business, the way we run our family. It should absolutely influence those things. We should be those who keep the word of our God and follow it, and it should influence every aspect of our life. The last thing I would encourage you with or remind you of this morning is this, that when we value God's word, when we desire it, we long for it. It produces this longing, 
that if we truly value God's word, we want it. We want more of it. We long to get more of it. And I would encourage you to turn over to 1 Peter as we think about a third passage, a third passage this morning, dealing with God's word. See, David says it's sweeter than honey, sweeter than honey. Why? Because he so values scripture that he longs for it, he craves it as he would honey. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter is, is close to the end of the Bible, page 1,552. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And just since we're jumping in right into the middle of 1 Peter 1, I, I just want to remind you, Peter is writing in, in verse 1, or verse 3 of verse 1, or, ah, goodness, verse 3 of chapter 1, he's writing to who he calls elect exiles. You could translate that chosen pilgrims. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he goes into, I, I, I believe, verses 1 through uh, 12 is just one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture talking about our salvation, what God has done in saving us. Talking about we've been saved to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Remember that word, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He talks about the rejoicing that we have in the midst of persecution and suffering and trials, which will play an, an important role throughout his letter. He talks about the salvation that the prophets spoke of and the angels longed to know about that they long to understand the, the mercy and the grace of God that's been shown to us. And then he talks about how in light of that, we are called to live holy lives. We are called to be holy. Why? Because he is holy, that, that our salvation results in a pursuit of holiness, a pursuit of righteousness that, as we said a moment ago, it should influence every aspect of our life. Our salvation should pour forth in influencing the way we live. So it brings us to verse 22. And he says this, he says, having purified your soul, souls by your obedience to the truth, your, your obedience, your submission to the gospel for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living word, the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The, the grass withers and the flower fails, falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, is, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Listen, here's, here's what we learn about right away. When Peter begins writing this, here's what we learn about the word of God. First, in verse 22 and 23, it's the word that leads us to salvation. He, he says, you have been born again through the living and abiding word. Creation declares that there is a God, that God is there. The word reveals how we know him. He, it leads us unto salvation. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says essentially the same thing. From childhood, he's talking to Timothy he says, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
It's the scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. Now, how does he describe this word? Remember the word I said to remember in verse 23? Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but what? Of imperishable seed. Imperishable. Same thing in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 4. He says that our salvation is imperishable. The inheritance that we have been given by the Lord is imperishable. Why? One reason is because it began with an imperishable seed, the Word of God. The other reason is because it's guarded and protected and given by the eternal God. But it starts with an imperishable seed. Do you want to know how to be saved? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read Scripture. It makes you wise unto salvation. The second thing that we learn here in verse 23 about about the Word is that it is living and enduring. It's living and enduring. It will ever be present. It is not stagnant. It makes a difference. It brings change. It opens eyes. It frees from sin. Again, what we said a moment ago, it influences our lives. Because why? It is living and eternal. It is abiding. It always remains. It continues to work in our lives. I remember a story told by a missionary. He was saying about a, a man coming into a tribe of cannibals. And, and, and the, the missionary tells the cannibal that the, the Bible was kind of passe in, in his country. And, and the former cannibal, I should remark, said, if it were passe here, you would have already been eaten. <laughs> God's word abided. God's word made a difference. God's word brought change because God's word is living and enduring, abiding. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and a spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living and abiding. Listen, if you come to 2022 and go, well, I don't know if I'll, I'll do how much scripture I'm reading I've done. I've read a lot of the Bible. Well, listen, God's word is living and active. That means God's word speaks to us because the Holy Spirit applies it. The Holy Spirit instructs us and leads us in the reading, the hearing of God's word that we might understand it. God's word is living and abiding. It's enduring. Verse 23. The third thing we learn is that God's word is eternal. Verse 24 and 25. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 8. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Trends are going to come and go. Pop philosophy will change tomorrow. What the culture says is right and good and what we should work forward is, or work toward is going to change tomorrow. It will. Everything is just constantly changing. But God's word is eternal. It does not change. It endures. Why? Because its source does not change. His source is eternal. His source is God. So the word of God endures. The word of God endures is eternal. Now, what does he say? Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. In light of these things, that God's word is living, it's enduring, right? It's imperishable, it's eternal. We've been saved. He says, love one another with a sincere, brotherly love. You've been born again of an imperishable seed. God's word endures, it remains. So what, what difference does that make? Well, Peter tells us, verse 1, so, right? Circle that word in your Bible. That's an important word. So, as a result, in, in response to this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, would you note 
the devices that Peter says to put away are not those real big like neon light billboard vices of pagan idolatry of his time. Now these are, these are vices that we see every day. In his time, in our time, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, those are all vices that would seek to harm the unity and the health of our body here. And Peter says, put them away. Get rid of them. Instead, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation. Listen, we can't be a people that just parade around and, and march about these huge issues and call out these big issues that we would say, we stand against this, we stand against that. And then all the while, we ignore envy and we ignore malice and we ignore deceit and lying. We ignore slander. We ignore hypocrisy. No. Peter says, cast that away. Get rid of it. And crave the word, long for the word, seek the word. May we not be a church that just stands for these big ticket issues and, and we care little about these other sins. May we be a people who long to live holy lives for our God. May we be a people that are sanctified by his word. May we be a people who, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk of the word. The, the New American Standard says that. The New American Standard says like, like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. You, you know how this is, right? Most, most of you in here have been around a baby. My in-law, Steph's parents are kind of fostering a, a three, four-month-old little boy and he likes to eat and he lets you know when he wants to eat. I mean, he turns like eight shades of red and into purple saying, give me food. Right? He wants food. He just, it's all he wants. Give me food. He craves it. And Peter says, like an infant, like a newborn baby, long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for it. Long for this milk of God's word. The word that leads to salvation. Long for it. The word that sanctifies us. John 17, 17. Long for that. The word that is consistent and true. We see here in verse 25. Long for that. The, the word that we read in Psalm 19, that it, that it guides our path, it rejoices the heart, it grants us wisdom, it feeds and revives our soul. Long for that word. The, lo, the, the word that, that guards us from sin in Psalm 119, verse 11. Long for that word. The word that is living and, and active, that discerns our thoughts and our motives. Long for that word. Crave that word. How, how can we not? How can we, if we're God's people, how can we not long for and crave the word of God? I would say that, that one of the most telling signs of either, of either on, on one side a struggling Christian or on the other side a, a, just a religious person, person who is playing the church game is that they never spend time in the Word. Nine times out of ten, if I sit down with someone who is struggling in their faith, it's, it's typically tied to a lack of studying and being and craving after long God's Word. Not always. I know there are times when we walk through and we're going through difficulty and we're struggling and we're just clinging. All we know to do is just cling to the Word of God. But more often than not, what I do see, what is consistent, is that when we are struggling, we're stumbling in our faith, we have departed from the Scriptures. And those who have been very religious, looked very religious, looked like they had it all together and walked away, when you dig a little, they were never in the Word. They never dug through the Word. They never desired the Word. They never had an affection, a longing, a craving for the Word. And Peter says, crave the Word, long for it. Why? Why? 
for your own maturity so that that you may grow up into salvation. Long for the word that you would grow in Christ, that you would grow in your relationship with him. Listen, being born again, getting saved is not the end goal. It's not the end goal. (laughs) Intimacy with God, bringing glory and honor to God in all things is the end goal. Strive for maturity in Christ this year. Strive to long and to crave and to hunger after God's word. Ask him to give you that longing, that craving, that desire for his word in 2022. Listen, I want to just leave you with three ways to know and to walk in the word in 2022. Three things we're going to do this year. Here's the first one. Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Every week, we're going to have a memory verse for you here. We're going to start, starting today, closing the service with that scripture memory verse. So today, as we leave, we're going to say Psalm, or not Psalm, Isaiah 40, verse 8 together. And this week, we're going to seek to memorize it. I would encourage you, I would challenge you to memorize it. Later on today, about 1 o'clock, you should receive an email in your inbox that will explain to you and show you some resources you can tap into that are going to just walk right through the scripture memory. It'll go through the verse. There's an app that we're encouraging you to get or a website you can go and and tap into to help you memorize scripture. If you're like me, listen, memorizing scripture is not my strong suit. It's not. Now, some of our young people can like read it and then recite it to you. It's one of those fascinating things I've ever seen. I never memorized anything as a kid except for how to hunt and fish. I know how to do that well. But scripture memory can be hard for me. It's work for me. I'm saying that to you as a pastor. So if you say, man, it's hard, well, okay, let's do it together. Let's do it together. Let's discipline ourselves to memorize scripture. Let's walk through that together. Let's hold each other accountable to do that. Let's encourage each other to do that. So the first thing is scripture memory. The second way is reading through the Bible. Reading through the Bible. Many of you received in Sunday school last week or this week a a Bible reading plan to just walk through Scripture. If you didn't receive one, there's some on the Great Commission Resource Center desk there. There will also be people available as you leave today to give you those reading plans. I would challenge you this year to read through the Bible. And I would challenge all of you in that. Not just the adults, but children, youth, read through Scripture. Children, maybe you want to just read through a book and have your parents help you read through a book and read that to you. Maybe it's just the New Testament. Teens, you can do calculus. You can read the entire Harry Potter series. You can read the entire series of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Don't tell me you can't read the Word of God. Discipline yourself to read the Word of God. Read it a little a day. And walk through scriptures. What might God do in our lives? What might God do in our lives? So read through the Bible this year. Finally, what we're going to encourage you and help you to do is to read scripture with another person. We'll talk more about this in days ahead. But read scripture with another person. Meet weekly with another person just to read scripture. I think we overcomplicate. What does it look like to disciple someone or be discipled by someone or to be in an accountability relationship? What does it look like? Oh, what do I do? What do I do? Well, a good place to start is just read the Word together. Just sit down and read the Word. Read through um, the book of Matthew together. Read through the book of Exodus together. I don't know. Or just sit down and, and do your readings and talk about them and then read part that day's reading together. 
but use that as an opportunity. Maybe it's a, a discipling relationship where you come alongside a younger believer, a more immature believer who's younger in their faith, and you disciple them and teach them to follow the Lord. Or maybe it's a relationship where you're just holding someone accountable and you're asking them to hold you accountable to reading the Word and that you read together. Or maybe it's an evangelistic relationship where it's someone that you're not sure if they're a believer or not. And you say, hey, listen, I'm reading through Scripture this year. I was just curious, would you want to do that with me? Just once a week, let's meet over coffee or let's meet over lunch or for breakfast or something. Let's just read through the Scriptures together. Would you want to do that? And just read the Word together. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. Let's be a people who seek our God this year, who seek to grow in Him, who, who seek to to increase our desires, our affections for him, our longing for him, our longing for his word, our craving for his word. Let's be a people who are a people of the word, a people of the word, not a people who just know it and go about their day with it making no real difference in their life, not a people who just hear it preached and go about the day, the week, and never open their Bible again. But let's be a people who discipline ourselves, ourselves, for the purpose of godliness. Because godliness has value in all things. All things. Let's be people of the word in 2022. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, for granting us in your goodness your word. God, we thank you that out of your goodness you instruct us, you guide us. And God, I know looking back on 2021, God, it was a difficult year. There were a lot of things we had to navigate and, and we needed guidance for, whether it was things that we faced as, 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 a, as a community of believers or things we faced as, as just as the world or things we faced individually or as families. God, we needed your guidance. And God, I expect nothing different for 2022. And we need you to guide us. And we know that you use your word to guide us. So God, I pray that we would be a people who spend time in your word, who know your word, and who live according to your word. God, let us not just give it lip service, and let us not be a people that just say, oh yeah, 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 we, we appreciate the Bible, but yet we never dig into your word. God, let us be a people who seek to live according to your paths and your ways and follow your guidance according to your word. So God, would you please, please produce in us a longing, a craving, a desire for your word. God, that's something I can't manufacture in my own life and I certainly can't do it for our church family. None of us can. So God, by your spirit, would you produce in us a longing for you and your truth and your word this year. And God, give us the discipline to carry it out to study your word, to be a disciple, to walk as a disciple, and to make disciples in 2022. We ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.